Welcome to the TalkScript Podcast. We're recording live, and by live we mean pre-recorded and edited, from sunny Omaha, Nebraska at NEJSConf 2018. The Nebraska JavaScript Conference always has a great speaker lineup, and this year is no different. Over the last four episodes, we've talked to several conference participants, including keynote speaker Clarissa Peterson, a UX expert, as well as two of the conference organizers and even a couple of attendees. In our fifth and final episode of the series, we'll be talking to keynote speaker Lori Voss, co-founder and COO of NPM Inc. Lori gave a presentation on the data collected by NPM Inc. through server logs and survey results. We talk about the larger package management community, NPM's audit and fix functionality, and NPM's growth pains dealing with security. We learn about the survey results showing how experience correlates with best practices, that efficient developers are preferred over efficient code, and that libraries dictate choices in programming languages. We are here with the next episode of TalkScript. I'm Neil Roberts. I'm Brian Forbes. Brian Forbes is here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Laurie Voss. I am the COO and co-founder of NPM Inc. Nice. You just had a talk, which Brian and I were both able to attend. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was about and what you want to talk with us about today? Sure. It was a brand new talk that I've never given anywhere before, and I was really pleased to be able to try it out. It's using all of the data that we have collected, both from our server logs and from a direct survey of 16,000 people who use NPM that we did about how they use NPM and what they use NPM for and what tools they use NPM for and trying to boil down all of that data into making predictions about where JavaScript is going to go. So based on what tools you've used now, where the trend lines are going, what are you going to be using next year? What should you, when you're putting your next project together, be thinking about picking up and trying? It seemed to go down pretty well. I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. It's fun because Brian and I have been doing it for... JavaScript for almost as long as you have. Mm-hmm. So it's fun seeing the, some of the tales and growth over time that we've seen as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was interested to hear that you work on Dojo. Dojo's so seriously old school stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got involved in Dojo 0.3. Early, versions of Dojo, Early the, versions of Dojo. The way that they show up in my brain is that they were some of the first JavaScript to try and use modular patterns at all. Before yeah. there was modular JavaScript, yeah. there was Dojo trying shit out. I remember, yeah. yeah. I remember seeing that in being super excited um, about it. Dojo.require. Yeah, back when it was next generation dynamic HTML. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, what I, we both uh, got involved in. Yeah. <laughs> I do a talk about the history of modular JavaScript, and Dojo is like, you know, it's like the prototype of, haha, the prototype <laughs> of everything is like, Dojo yeah. did modular prototype. JavaScript before anybody had thought what of it. it. What, what is it, Dojo? Dojo did it. Dojo did it. Dojo already did it. <laughs> what have you seen early on in the life cycle of NPM becoming adopted by the web and where it's grown to today. So the biggest change in the last four years since NPM became a company is we gave birth to the company thinking that it was going to be a tool for node developers and a company providing services to node developers and that turned out not to be what it was. It turns out I remember in 2014, like April or something, we had a conversation where we were like, web developers, we've got to do something to make this thing attractive to web developers because there's so many of them and they really want to use front-end packages and it seems really hard right now. Mm -hmm. What are we, NPM, going to do to fix that problem? And we were too busy doing other stuff and in in the next four years, everyone just figured it out. And now 93% of the people who use NPM say that they're using it to do front-end web development. It is primarily thought of as a tool for putting websites together, and Node is a small fraction of that group. 
which is really, really surprising to everyone, especially the people who write Node. <laughs> were there a lot of growth pains from that period where you were using it mostly for kind of server-side Node to getting it ready for web developers? There were a bunch of growth pains. One of the bigger changes was in 2014, the average install tree was about 50 modules. And NPM at the time used to say that NPM is a bet on Semver. Semfer is, I'm not going to like, I'll assume your audience knows what Semfer is, but Semfer is essentially a contract where you say that I will only publish package versions that have either you know, a patch version, a feature version, or a breaking change. I will publish them according to this contract so you can trust me to bring in a new version of the package. And if I say it's a patch version, it'll be really be a patch version and your software won't break. When there were about 50 packages in an average install, that was true often enough that you could just get away with it and pulling in Semver compatible updates all the time, every time you ran NPM install, seemed like a reasonable thing to do. Mm -hmm. In 2018, the average module tree has a thousand modules in it, and the chances of all thousand modules not having messed up Semver is basically zero. It's nil, yeah. And this became a huge problem for people well before 2018, and it gave birth to an alternative to the NPM CLI that ignored Semver and locked everything down to a specific version, and that was Yarn. That was the primary thing that they did was they said, we're going to have a yarn lock and everything's going to be locked down because we are Facebook and we are building gigantic trees and we can't possibly deal with Semver. This sucks. And they were right. That was the thing that they noticed faster than we noticed and they built a tool and that's why NPM6 has package lock because you're correct. When the tree's a thousand modules, you can't trust Semver anymore. It's a shame that you can't, but you can't. Well, um, and then when, when developers are inherently lazy right. and they don't follow Semver. Right. And, and, um, yeah. But a nice side effect of using a package lock is if you're using Semver, every time you download install a package, you have to check if there's a new Semver-compatible update that you might be able to pull in. If you're using package lock, you don't care. You know exactly what version of the package you're yeah. going to pull in. So it means that actually you can do half as many requests. Because NPM used to have to say, hey, are there any new versions? Cool. No. OK. Download the package. With package lock, you're just like, give me the package. I know which package I want. I know what I'm doing. And so that made NPM twice as fast. It had to do twice as, uh, half as many requests, and so it mm -hmm. was twice as fast. So NPM 6 is 20 times faster than NPM 4 was, partially just because of that it does less stuff, and partially because of a bunch of sort of collaborative work on performance that all of the package manager makers have done together. There's a discourse community called package.community, and the makers of Yarn are in there. NPM CLI team is in there. There are a couple other package managers for JavaScript, like PNPM. They're in there as well. They all collaborate with each other. And as a result, in the last two years, they've all got a lot faster. And the funny thing is, it means that they're all now about the same speed. All of the low-hanging fruit is gone. Everybody has extracted every last bit of performance they can out of their package manager. Mm -hmm. So now they only differ based on the workload. Mm. One of them is better at very deep trees. One of them is better at very wide trees. One of them is better at React apps in particular. Guess which one? <laughs> um, they're all about the same now, which is a sort of triumph of open source. The, the, yeah. the knowledge has disseminated, and now everybody's better. So Yarn came out, mm -hmm. and, and they locked all the dependencies. Mm -hmm. And you guys kind of adopted that, yep. that idea. With some of the new, the new ones coming out, PNPM in, in particular, mm -hmm. do you guys see yourselves adopting anything that they've that they've done there's one more yarn thing that we haven't adopted or, yet or called yarn, yeah. called workspaces yeah if you've used lerna yes. lerna is kind of like the workspaces in yarn we think that's a great idea we're going to pull that in the reason we haven't done it yet is because we've been focusing on some other stuff yeah absolutely. Um, 
the other big thing that's happened in the last couple of years is that the size of the community went from 1 million users to 10 million users. Yeah. And that meant that the, you know, the tiny percentage of people in the community who are malicious actors has become larger. Yep. So security went from being oh, well, a benevolent universe, it mostly works out okay most of the time, to a constant source of paranoia for the people mm -hmm. who run NPM. And it's, and it's not unfounded paranoia either. It's not unfounded <laughs> paranoia. Stuff keeps happening. So we acquired a security company earlier this year, Lyft Security, yeah. and we built a node security platform, which was their product, into NPM. So now NPM 6, whenever you install, it will tell you if anything that you're installing is insecure. It will tell you how insecure it is, and it will tell you how to fix it. And the fun part is, and we didn't even think about this when we were first designing the feature, most of the time, the way that you fix an insecure package is you just upgrade to the secure version. And the way that you do that is you run NPM. So we discovered when we first built the first version of the feature, we were like, well, NPM audit, which is the command that does this check for you, it spits out a list of things to do, and nearly all of them are run NPM. Mm -hmm. So if NPM is telling you to run NPM, why doesn't NPM just run itself? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. Uh, NPM audit fix automatically obeys the instructions in the audit report, and it will automatically upgrade any insecure dependencies that you have to secure versions of themselves, which yeah. is truly a magical feature. Like, if you think about... It's, it's a, great, it's a yeah. wonderful feature. If I, you think yeah. about a thousand modules in your tree and how much manual work would be involved upgrading each of them to secure versions when you have a package lock, yeah. the fact that you can just hit a button and do it is great. We're super happy with yeah. that. And it totally was an accident. Like, it was literally the CLI team was like, why don't we just do that? And everyone was like, why don't we just do that? That's yeah. great. Let's no, do I that. Worked, I was working, like I was telling you before, I've been working on, on Dojo for the last, the last couple of weeks getting it ready for our 3.0 3 release. I just, on a whim, kind of upgraded NPM. I usually leave it stale. I'm not sure why. But you and everybody else. Yeah, me and everybody else. Right? <laughs> it works. But I, I upgraded to NPM 6. All of a sudden, I start getting all these, these security notices. And it, was, it was great, because then I knew which packages. Because it, it gives you the, the tree of, OK, here's your insecure package, and here's why it's pulled in. Mm -hmm. And that is phenomenal because then it's not like, okay, what the heck is going on here? I'm so it, I mean, glad it, you like it. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it, it, it's, it's informative. There was one thing that I was installing. Okay, where, where are some of the 10 plus year JavaScript developers that appreciate uh, security? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this I mean, is this, they saw from there your was, surveys. There was something, I can't remember what I was, what I was installing. I think it was, it was a testing tool that we were using to take screenshots of the widgets. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what. But deep in its tree, there was this package that, that had a, a code execution thing. Mm -hmm. I, like, I would have never known, known that yeah. was there. And it showed me exactly what I needed to upgrade. It told me the command I needed. Mm -hmm. And it showed me, you know, here's yeah. the package that actually brought this thing in. So you just referenced a thing that I talked about in my talk, but we didn't actually mention in this recording yet, which is one of the findings that we had in our study of JavaScript developers is we split them up by how long they'd been JavaScript developers. Mm. And we discovered that there was this beautiful linear progression as developers got more experienced in how much they cared about security. So the more experienced you are, the more you care about security. And that just keeps going. And it actually, it, it, it's associated with all other best practices as well. The more experienced you are, the more likely you are to use a bundler and a linter and a test framework and everything. It turns out JavaScript developers get better at it as they go. Who knew? Right. Yeah, the testing stat is what I found interesting because you're talking about the problem with you know, semantic versioning and how some people don't obey that and also testing frameworks, right? Like you saw that there's 
like a twenty percent gap in people. Yeah, twenty percent of people. Yeah, there's twenty percent of people that don't, don't use a test. test well, they, specifically, they say they don't use a testing framework, so uh, it might be that they're writing their own tests, but I don't think so. I think they're just not testing. <laughs> right. Well, at least not at least not automated in any way. Right. Yeah. Which you know that's understandable, but like it's kind of hard to start complaining about semantic versioning issues that cause these little problems, but at the same time not have any tests to make sure that you're not running into that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like so someone has to be in charge of finding those problems in it. Yeah. Should be you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's no there's no there's no way for you to make sure that everyone else is a good actor in the in the system. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think you you see a lot of that of that where people complain about how NPM should fix all of their problems. I mean, <laughs> we run NPM, and we really, really like NPM users, and we're super protective of them, and we're super happy that they show up every day. We kind of think that we should solve all of their problems. I think that's not an unreasonable request. Um, but well, there's, I mean, eventually, right? Like that's the right. Goal. Eventually like a, is the I thing. I like a grilled cheese Wanting it now at is the noon problem. every there's, day. Yeah. There's, there's 10 million of you, so you all need to form an orderly line, and we can only do like two or three things at the same time. Right, yeah. right. So we'll get to it eventually. Your concerns are valid, but we're not necessarily going to fix it right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting that it's still, NPM has kind of, grown so fast and yet it's still kind of young like when you get to package manager I think package managers I think a lot of people assume that they that it's like a solved problem because it's they've existed in other communities so they're like oh well we've we figured out everything related to package managers even though we have a completely different set of problems for the web yeah I think there's a lot of people, especially in the early days of NPM, we got a lot of pushback from like really long-time Linux users who were like, why can't you just use RPM for this? <laughs> like, <laughs> have you tried using RPM have for you anything? Tried using apt? <laughs> it's, it's completely different. They're like, we have this problem with um, that the version of NPM bundled into Ubuntu is super old, yeah. and it's because their process for including new things in Ubuntu is we have to vet every single dependency, and I'm like, okay, well, NPM has 2,000 dependencies. Are you going to vet all of them? And they're like, yes, but very slowly. So they're always like four or five versions behind NPM. They're like wow. using NPM 1.4, because they haven't finished vetting all of the packages in NPM 4 yet, and we're on NPM 6. Like, they're just never going to catch up. Their process can't scale. They, yeah. like, they require too much control, and NPM is more loosey-goosey, and they just, they're not yeah. compatible communities at all. It's a good thing that there's NVM. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever node version manager you're using. Well, that brings me to the next thing that I was, like, I wanted you to talk about more, which is, you're saying, you know, we went from this small number of dependencies in each project to a pretty large number of dependencies, and, like, can you kind of go over why that happened and why that might be a good thing? The number of dependencies increased partially because expectations of web development increased. Like I said, NPM usage is mostly web development now, and web development went from, you know, we're going to put some flat HTML on a page to everything needs to be a rich web app, even the things that are obviously not rich web apps. Right. Our marketing page, which only has four pictures on it and an email link, it has to be, an, it has to be a, a React app. We need to make Bill wink. For some reason. <laughs> right. Part of it is like unreasonable expectations, and part of it is reasonable expectations, like people are just doing really amazing stuff with the web these days, and right. to get it done, right. they need a lot of stuff. Like the stat that I trot out a lot of the time is that 97% of the code in a modern web application is downloaded from NPM. The application developer writes the last 3%. 
depending who you are, you either think that's great or terrifying. <laughs> I think it's great. I think that the, the fact that we can concentrate just on the last 3% of our app that is unique to our app, do only the stuff that we needed to do to be different, and the other 97% of grunt work can be done by other developers in the open source community, that's great. I'm super glad that we can make that happen. But one of the side effects of that is gigantic install trees. There's no disguising the fact that if you wrote all of this stuff from scratch, it would be more efficient. It would probably be faster, it would right. use less memory, and it would use way less disk space. But the observed reality is that that doesn't matter. Nobody gives a shit about disk space and memory anymore, and the way that you can tell is that the average <laughs> module tree has a thousand modules in it. Right. It turns out that disks are cheap, and memory is cheap, and developers are tremendously expensive. And making your developers work faster is way more important than making your code run faster. And if you think that's bad, you're welcome to roll your own. But like the stats on the ground are that people agree with us. People think that efficient developers are more important than efficient code. And that's fine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I haven't seen a developer that's like passionate about every nuance of every function in their code base. Oh, I have. They send me angry <laughs> emails. They're like, you should shut down NPM. It's making everyone lazy. I'm like, but OK. I mean, like, there are people that are super passionate about like virtual DOM, right? Which is a thing a lot of front-end development includes. Like, I'm not, and I'm glad that there's someone else that's like super passionate about that and eking every single bit of performance and making sure that all bugs are fixed. Yep. It's like that kind of hyper focus that developers can use to really pursue their passions or their skill set. I think is a kind of a cool movement that's happened yeah. in, in the web development community. So it's been really neat to see. As we've been developing, people move away from monoliths to small packages. I was very opposed to small packages years ago, <laughs> but even when we, we've been redesigning Dojo, and that's one of the things that we've looked at is like, how do we make sure that like these distinct parts aren't tightly coupled with each other? Let's make it so we can break them out, put in another drop and replacement. That's how NPM got so popular in the first place, right? I cited this study done by a guy at UC Berkeley about why people choose programming languages in the first place. And the overwhelming reason that they use any, that they pick a language is because there are libraries available in that language that do the thing that they want. Yeah. Over and above whether they like the language or they like the features or they think it's performant or whatever, right. if there's a library that does your thing, then you'll pick that language. That's why Python is leading in machine learning. Python is not a language that's particularly well adapted to machine learning. I think even a Python <laughs> fan would agree. But all of the packages for doing machine learning are there in Python. And so all of the machine learning people are there in Python land going, why is this kind of weird? Um, <laughs> And the same thing is in JavaScript. People showed up because there were some really great libraries in NPM. They started using Node. They started writing more packages for NPM. And that attracted more people. And it just created this unstoppable flywheel effect that has 750,000 packages in the registry yeah. now. And as a result, it's never going to go anywhere. Any solution that wants to build stuff for the web from now on is going to have to contend with the fact that it needs to be compatible with the NPM registry because there's no way that we could possibly re-implement all 750,000 libraries. No one's ever going to do that work. So you have to hang on to NPM forever now. Sorry. <laughs> He's got an evil grin on his face. <laughs> his pinky is in his mouth. But you're saying that also, but, relate, that also relates to like right, the long tail of, of like these dependent packages too. Right, so that's, that's the second thing is because everything in NPM is decoupled, 
there can be wild experiments within the registry. One of the things that's most interesting to us is that a huge chunk of the packages that are in the registry now aren't JavaScript anymore. There's a huge chunk that are native code. They're, they compile and run C when you install them. There's a huge chunk that are written in ES6, which is a kind of JavaScript, but not a kind of JavaScript that you can run everywhere right now. Or they're written in ES7 or ES8 or ESNext. And there's a bunch written in TypeScript, as you know. And they all just transpile themselves when you install them. You don't even notice when you npm install that it's running a transpiler and turning it into the kind of JavaScript that you can run. But as a result, the npm registry is full of a bunch of stuff that you can use in JavaScript that's not necessarily written in JavaScript in the first place. The most exciting one to me is WASM or WebAssembly. WASM lets you write native code in like Rust or C or something, compile it down into a subset of JavaScript that when a browser recognizes it, it executes it not as JavaScript, but as native code. So you can write Rust and have it execute like Rust in your browser as fast as Rust executes, which means that you will be able to do next generation web applications that are as performant as a desktop application, exactly as performant as a web application, as a desktop application, because they are desktop applications effectively. That is fascinating. Yeah. And Mozilla has already built a tool that lets you take WASM and package it up and put it into NPM, and it's backwards compatible. You can call WASM packages from JavaScript. You can call JavaScript from WASM. It's totally, it's totally compatible. So even if JavaScript stops happening, NPM will still be there being the package manager for whatever it is that we write instead, which is awesome, yeah. I think. The other thing that I think is a credit to NPM's success is that you took the ecosystem that basically existed in the browser, right? Because the browser really only runs, I don't think of HTML really as a, as a dynamic, like, not like JavaScript, right? The browser only runs JavaScript. Right. Right? And, and you moved that and you took a runtime and built an entire ecosystem around it. And then not only did you just like built it for the server, but then you're like, oh yeah, hey, browser guys, come over here too. <laughs> well, like, because I mean, the you, best you had part Bauer, is that and then there was us, a whole bunch of other right? stuff, like one that was built in PHP. And it's like, that's also why you see the numbers growing because there's a whole lot of tooling that used to be built in. C or Java, or not, not C, but Java, PHP, maybe some Python, that did some of these like concatenation, bundling and stuff. It's now just being written in JavaScript, and you're pulling that in from NPM, and so it's like JavaScript producing JavaScript to be run as JavaScript in the browser. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, it's, it's this like dog food effect. Yeah, the fact that everybody started writing their tooling in JavaScript came as a surprise to us. The fact that people started writing front-end stuff using node packages also came as a surprise to us. We were like, wouldn't that be cool in 2014? Yep. And by 2018, yeah. it was standard practice thanks to Webpack and Babel. And then jQuery also switched to right. NPM J as well. That helped. Yeah, jQuery, helped jQuery moved to us as their plugin. default plugin yeah, yeah. repository. It turns out lots of people do that. It turns out like the robotics people, when they make a library of stuff that will, you can use with your robotics platform, they just put stuff in NPM as well. Yeah, so NPM's growth is is all of these separate ecosystems just deciding that we don't want to build our own package manager, let's just use NPM. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, really, it's been really cool. Yeah, it's been a, it was a fascinating talk, and thanks for sitting down and talking with us. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Right. Thanks again. We got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got a good